You're going to find our text tonight. We'll be back in First Peter again. We'll be in the last chapter, the fifth chapter of First Peter. And Sunday morning, you remember we were in First Peter chapter number one. We read verses one uh, through verse nine. And we tried to expound those verses for you. And there's just so much. And it's that way with most any text of the Bible. There's so much there. It's just hard uh, to cover it all and to do it justice. But nonetheless, we covered some of the verses in the first chapter Sunday morning. So um, I'd much rather your pastor be in the pulpit tonight. I'd rather be hearing Brother Kevin preach and do want to pray for him that the Lord would nurse him back to health. Um, but since he's not here tonight, I'm going to take this opportunity and go to the fifth chapter. And so what we're going to look at tonight, we're going to read verses 8 through 11 here in just a moment. But in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 11, I think what we will see is shared Christian experiences. Shared Christian experiences. Let's begin reading in uh, verse number 8, and we'll read again through verse number 11. Verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered, a while. You remember we told you Sunday morning that suffering um, is the theme. It's the key word to Second Peter, mentioned some 15 times. And he says here, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengtheneth, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray, if you would. Our Father, we thank you tonight, this evening, for allowing us to be here with this good group of people. And Lord, it's been good, the fellowship that we've already been allowed to enjoy. We thank you for that. Thank you for our time around this altar to lift our burdens up to you and our concerns, our petitions, knowing that we have a God that hears and not only a God that hears, but a God that moves on our behalf. And now, Lord, that it's come time for the preached word of God, we're keenly aware of the fact that we stand in a place where the arm of the flesh will fail us. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us now. Lord, I pray that these, your people, would not see a man or a man's message, but they would hear the word of God and what it would speak to their hearts tonight. And, Lord, I pray that you would help me, Lord, to have a clear mind and clear speech and to say, Every word that you would have said, Lord, help me, feeble as I may be, strengthen me, Lord, and allow me to give this text a voice for your people, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I said what we would look at in this text tonight is shared Christian experiences. If you remember Sunday morning, I said something along these lines of how it amazes me uh, with God's people, how that God calls people from so many different backgrounds, the diversity, if you will, among God's people, different 
economic backgrounds, different social backgrounds. We have different political backgrounds, different interests, different hobbies. I mean, um, the average local church is so different that you could probably never, ever get that same group of people together in a common unity for any one other singular thing other than other other than the fact that they have been redeemed. They've been saved by the good grace of God. And, and this church, I'm sure, is no different. We gather here tonight not because we all hold the same views of everything in the world. No, that's not why we gather together. We gather together tonight because we've been redeemed by the good grace of God. We've made a trip to Calvary. We've experienced a new birth. We're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And, and because of that, those other things are, are in the background somewhere. They're really rendered insignificant, minding your differences of opinion on lesser matters. The fact that you and I have a shared inheritance. We are children of God. We come together, uh, in that, in, in that arena. And so we have those shared experiences there just in the fact that we've been redeemed by the good grace of God. And, uh, and I love to get together with God's people and just speak of the things of God. Doesn't have to be at church. It can be anywhere. Um, anywhere. And it makes me nervous when people say that they are a Christian and I'm not trying to interrogate them. I just say, Hey, tell me about when you got saved and they get nervous about it. I mean, I like to talk about it. I like to rejoice over the fact that we've been redeemed. But even beyond redemption, as we begin down the road of life as a child of God, in short order, we learn some things. Uh, we learn that, as we said Sunday morning, it's not all going to be um, roses. It's not all going to be bliss. There's going to be some hardships, and some of that is often brought into our life, allowed into our life by the Lord. Uh, and it's for our perfection to mature us and, and it's to oftentimes to grow us in holiness and progressive sanctification. And so this epistle has a whole lot to say about that and no way we could cover all of that. But we went to this last chapter tonight and, and we think that this encapsulates uh, in brief in this short text that we've read these shared Christian experiences. We're going to talk about things tonight that I believe if you've been saved any period of time, you along with myself and all the other believers in here would be able to give a hearty amen and say, preacher, that's right. Uh, we've been there and we can fellowship over these things. Um, so uh, there's, there's really just about four things that I want to mention to you. Verse number eight is the first verse that we read and and it tells us about an adversary. He's telling us that we are to be sober, to be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, shared Christian experiences. The first thing that I want to bring to your attention that we share in common as believers is we have a shared adversary. We have a shared adversary in the devil. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he is just as sure as Jesus is a personal savior. Satan is a personal adversary. Some would act as if they don't, they believe in a personal Jesus, but as if there's some generic 
devil who really doesn't have a, a personal pursuit of the child of God. But I want to say it clearly to you tonight. Uh, the devil knows more about you than you probably would think that he knows about you. Don't, don't let the thought come into your mind that you have somehow passed under the radar that he doesn't know your address, that he doesn't know your phone number, so to speak. Don't, don't take for granted and assume that Satan doesn't know the sin which does so easily beset you. Matter of fact, not only does he know the sin that does so easily beset you, but he knows how to put it on a silver platter. And deliver it to you. Years ago, uh, when I was much younger and even had hair, uh, Brother Kevin was my pastor all those years ago. And I remember him saying this. I remember a lot of things he told me. But one of the things I remember he told me this was Brother Brian. He said, he said, Brother Ronnie, if you have temptation and no opportunity, you'll be okay. If you have opportunity and no temptation, you'll be okay. But, Brother Ronnie, if temptation and opportunity presents themselves simultaneously, your goose is cooked. He told me that, and that's that's wisdom. You know who tries to present temptation and opportunity to you as a child of God? Well, it's your adversary, the devil. And and I don't have a lot of time to labor at this point. I want to I want to move on, but I do want to stress to you that the devil makes it his business to destroy the people of God. Not that we are of that high of an interest to him, but because we are that high of an interest to the one that loved us and died for us. Uh, And that's why he wants to destroy us. That's why he wants to destroy our homes, our marriages, the lives of our children. How often have we seen it? Good homes, good families that the devil got in there some way and he wreaked havoc on homes. Can I tell you tonight that our shared adversary, the devil, that we share, we have a shared Christian experience with this shared adversary. This is how he operates. He never comes in and kicks open the front doors and says, man of the house, move over. Give me the recliner. I'm taking over this home. That's not how he does. He just slowly approaches the front porch and he'll knock politely. And if you'd be kind enough to open the door. He'll say, I don't pay me no mind if you'll just let me stick my big toe in the front door for a little while and rest here. And and then the next thing you know, he'll just want to take a seat at the kitchen table and, and he'll slowly work his way, if you will, to the main position in the house. That's how he works, little by little by little. And I've seen it and you've seen it time and again in the lives of believers when they didn't recognize their adversary. And and so they decided to give a little here and to give a little there. And the next thing you know, you've surrendered far more than you ever intended to surrender. Those of you that have ever been to the beach, you'll know what I'm talking about. I can't go to the beach. Every time I get in that water, they start sending out alarms. They think there's a beach 12, so I don't go to the beach anymore for that purpose, but I know this, that when you get out in that water and that current as it's, as it's receding, you don't have to try to drift out away from the shore. If you will just stop paying attention and making a concerted effort to remain close to the shore, here in a little while you'll look up and, and in some places, isn't it amazing? I mean, you can be a quarter mile away and still only be, you know, waist deep or a little deeper, but you'll think, how did I get this far out? I mean, I was just here having a good time and now all of a sudden I'm so far away from the shore and I'm so far 
away from safety. And that's how the devil works. And I just want to encourage you and hurry along to my next point. I want to tell you, we have a shared adversary in this Christian life. And listen, he will destroy your home. He'll destroy your families, your children, your testimony. And he's willing to take it an inch at a time if you'll surrender the whole thing to him. And so don't give an inch of ground, child of God. Do not give an inch of ground to the devil. Do those things that you know to do to maintain your home, all right? Do do the things that you know to do to live right and to be right with God. Don't give the devil an inch. We have a shared adversary. He's after me tonight. He's after my children. He's after my marriage, and, and he's after you. We have a shared adversary. Not only do we have a shared adversary, we have shared afflictions. Look at our next verse, verse number nine in our text. Speaking of the devil, he says, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So we have shared afflictions, not only a shared adversary in the devil, but this adversary of ours, he brings about afflictions in the life of the child of God. Afflictions, a synonym for that could be sufferings, which is what our epistle concerns, as we've already stated more than one time. Here's how we deal with that. He says in verse number nine, in the, in the beginning, he says, whom, that being the devil, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Now, he doesn't say whom rebuke. He said whom resist. And there's a difference in rebuking and resisting. And and I would caution you not to take lightly this matter of rebuking the devil. Uh, You see that sometimes in certain circles. You'll see people stand up and, and square their shoulders and stick out their chin and they'll say, devil, I rebuke you, but you don't find that in the Bible. You don't find where that's the, uh, where that's the mode of operation given to us as the children of God. As a matter of fact, I, I don't feel like I am, and I doubt that you feel like that you are the equal of mo, uh, the, uh, the equal of, of an angel. But yet when the angel disputed with Satan over the body of Moses, what did he say? He didn't say, I rebuke you, Satan. He said, what? He said, the Lord rebuke thee. The Lord rebuke thee. So we don't rebuke, but we resist. Resist. Have you ever, some of you may work in law enforcement. Um, I don't work in law enforcement, but I like to watch cops. Amen. I like, I like to watch it sometimes when them fellas don't want to go with them. They call that resisting arrest. And you can resist all you want to, but they're going to bring enough of them fellas in. And, and you listen, listen, buddy, you're going in, right? You're going in one way or another. And the charge is resisting arrest. Now, you've seen that. You know what they do. They fight tooth and nail. Now, I'm not saying that criminals trying to evade the law are to be our standard and our pattern, but I'm trying to help you grasp this word resist. We are to resist the devil. He's never, you're never going to stand and say, I rebuke thee, Satan, get thee behind. He's not going to do that. He's going to, listen, he'll be back tomorrow morning and the morning after that and the morning after that. And I've been saved now over half of my life and, and he's still fighting me. And, and a great preacher from our area from years ago, brother Percy Ray once said, I heard him say this on a tape. 
Brother Ray said, I thought, he said, when I was a young man, I had to fight the devil tooth and nail over sin that tempted me. He said, I thought when I became old and gray, somehow that the temptation would lessen. And he said, the temptation's greater now that I'm up in years than it's ever been before. The devil, the devil's not leaving, beloved. He's going to hang around and he's going to continue to try to take us down. What do we do? We resist. We resist is what we do. How do you resist? Well, you resist steadfast in the faith. Help me a little more than that, preacher. Explain to me, how do I resist? Well, if you're going to resist and put up a fight against the devil, I'll tell you what you need is you need some good nutrition. You need to get in that book on a daily basis. If you're a preacher, could I give you some good advice? I know there's at least two preachers here tonight and and, and, and I'm not, certainly not trying to, um, instruct you in any way. I'm just going to give you some shared advice that a preacher shared from the pulpit with a group of preachers one time. Another one of those things that I've remembered. Brother Don Sable, who I think you said would be here on the 19th, is who I heard say this years ago at a Bible conference. House full of preachers. Brother Sable said, preachers, don't study your Bible to preach. You could have heard a pin drop. Everybody was astonished. Brother Savel, that studious preacher, said, Preachers, don't study your Bible to preach. And if you're familiar with Brother Savel, you know what he done. He leaned his head down and looked over the glasses and he scanned the congregation to get everybody's reaction. And he said once more, Don't study your Bible to preach. Study your Bible to live and preach what you live. That's good stuff, preacher. That's good stuff. We've got to get in that book, not just to get up an outline, not just to meet a deadline, but we've got to get in that book to feed us because every day as you go out into this sin-cursed and lost world, the devil's going to be flailing darts your way. Hurling darts your way, trying to take you out. We have a shared adversary. We have shared afflictions. Shared afflictions. He said uh, in verse number 10, let's go there with me if you would. We have a shared afterwards. He says, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you've suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We have a shared afterwards. Now, yes, we have a shared adversary. We have shared afflictions, shared hardships that we all have to deal with. No doubt about that. Hardships in this life. But if you notice in the verse we just read, that 10th verse, he said, after that you have suffered a while. What's the question? How long's a while, Brother Ronnie? Well, it's a while. I don't know how long you're suffering your trial. I don't know. There'll be multiple trials in your Christian life, and I'm sure there'll be multiple durations. But after you've suffered a while, it says, make you perfect, establish, and strengthen you. This thing 
called trials comes to an end. Oh, I'm remembering years ago. I, I believe it was from this very pulpit or the pulpit that used to be in this church. I heard Brother Marvin Ward preach a message entitled, This Too Shall Come to Pass. This too shall come to pass. Now, when we're experiencing our shared afflictions that we have in our life, it feels sometimes like they'll never come to pass. They'll never come to pass. The sufferings of this life. Just tonight, before I even made it to the first pew, while talking in fellowship, and there were two different brothers here who were talking about suffering that they're experiencing in their family, their life with, with sickness, with parents. And there's nothing exactly, there's nothing quite like that. I've experienced that. I, I know what it is to, to watch a mother shrivel up and fade away into the shell of what she once was and not even know who I am and unable to tend to the most basic needs of her body and for the Lord to be gracious and allow us to minister to her and, and watch death come and rip her away from us. You talk about heartbreaking, gut-wrenching. I'll never forget, and some of you, some of you younger people won't be able to understand and thank God that you can't yet, but some of you do understand what I'm talking about. I was well into my 40s, an adult, um, well established is the word that we would use in life. I could not remember the last time that I asked my mother for a singular thing. Not one red cent, not to babysit, not anything. Not because I didn't love her, but I just, I had no need of those things. And, and so what I'm saying is very um, self-sufficient, I guess you might would say. And when the Lord called my mother to glory, do you know what was the strangest feeling that I have ever experienced? There I was, grown man, 40-something years old. And an absolute feeling of, um, let me give you a way to understand this. Do you remember when you were a little fella and maybe you were in town, maybe in a busy store, shopping center, mall, something along those lines, and you thought mama was close by, and then all of a sudden you looked up and mama was nowhere to be seen, and a sense of hyperventilation set in, and you felt the, the feeling of, oh, no, I'm lost, and I may never see Mama again. Do you remember that feeling that came over you? Magnify that times 10,000, and that rushed over me. And I thought, how am I going to face the world without my Mama? It's terrible, absolutely terrible. But can I tell you this? Some of you hadn't been there yet, but I want to tell you this not because I read it in a book or I heard another preacher say it from a pulpit because God allowed me to experience it myself. The grace of God is sufficient. 
He led me through that affliction and he gave me grace. And now if another brother or sister faces that, I can look them in the eye, not on the word of another, but on firsthand experience and say, my brother, my sister, God has grace to help you through the situation. Trust in him. We have a shared adversary, shared afflictions, but thank God there's a shared afterwards. These things pass. They pass. The afflictions of this life pass. And every time that an affliction comes, a suffering comes, a test or a trial, and God grows us through that. You remember how we talked about that Sunday? He grows us through that. And when it's over, we find more than we ever knew before, that we can trust Him. Could I say it to you this way? A faith that has not been tried is a faith that cannot yet be trusted. A faith that has not been tried is a faith that cannot yet be trusted. You may think your faith has been trusted, but have if you have not walked through the valley, if you have not experienced the suffering, if you hadn't experienced loneliness and, and sickness and, and heartache and abandonment and grief and all the things that the devil will hurl your way, you don't really know if your faith will get you through that or not. And, and none of us are a glutton for it, but thank God that when he helps us through that, we can stand sure-footed and testify to anybody else who's going through that. God has grace. That's what he's talking about in another place when he talks about the manifold grace of God. You should study that word manifold. The manifold grace of God. Shared adversaries, shared afflictions. First Corinthians 10 and 13 says, There's no temptation taking you, but such as has come into man. Somebody's been through, listen to me now, child of God. You know what you're going through right now? Somebody else has been there. Somebody else has made it through. And if you don't watch out, you know what your loving Savior will do? He'll allow you to cross paths with that person. That person will be able to help you. That's how God works this thing out. Shared adversaries, shared afflictions, a shared afterwards. These things come to a pass and then we're able to help others. And then I'm finished with this. It's just a simple, basic little outline here. In our last verse that we read, the 11th verse, since I'm alliterating with A's, we've got a shared amen. Look at the verse with me. Verse 11, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what this verse is telling us? It is telling us that just as I shared with you Sunday, that all of these sufferings, all of these testings that we all are subjected to, which constitutes our shared Christian experiences, this verse, verse number 11, demonstrates to us that all of these things come to pass ultimately, ultimately, they come to pass that he might be glorified, that he might have dominion. Do you remember in another place in the New Testament, it says that in all things, he might have the preeminence 
I'll tell you, child of God, that's what it's all about. This thing's not all about me, nor is this thing all about you. It's not about our convenience nor our comfort. It's not about our happiness or our ease. But what it is about is that the God who loved us and redeemed us, called us into the fellowship of the beloved, that he might get glory and honor from our lives. And he lets these things at times come into our life. And as a result of them, we do grow. We are established. We do mature. But ultimately, the end sum of it all is that God gets glory to himself through it all. And we ought to all say hallelujah to God for that. What greater thing could come through our life even if we are subjected to suffering and hardships and trials? What greater testimony could we have than that our life brought honor to God? That we went through the valley, that we went through the trial, that we suffered, but we did it with the grace of God all over us. That we did it with a song in our heart and a smile on our face and the joy of God that is unspeakable and passes all understanding in our heart. That is the testimony of the child of God. It is the shared Christian experience. I say, and don't misunderstand this because I don't want them, but I want to say hallelujah for the sufferings. That God establishes in their life. Don't, and you might say, preacher, you don't know what you're saying. I know a little something. A little something about it. I've done very, very little growing in the good times. Very little. Oh, I enjoyed them. But I did very little growing. But it was the hard times. It's the times when me and my wife have looked each other in the face and wept and wondered, how can we go on? It's the times when you stand in front of the freshly dug plot and the headstone in front of it and say, how can I live without them? It's the hardships in life. It is the trials. It is the sufferings that are our shared Christian experience that our loving Savior allows into our life and He holds our hand and He soothes us and He comforts us. And He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother through it all. And when it's all said and done, we're more mature. We're more established. But ultimately, He is glorified in it. And it's worth Every bit of it. If the one who loved us and died for us is glorified, oh, beloved, consider this with me. If what I say doesn't quite make sense, if you can't find yourself in full agreement, consider this. He could have left you alone. Where would you be tonight had God not came your way? Had God not drawn you? Had God not made Himself real to you and convicted you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment? Had He not redeemed you, where would you be? I'm telling you, beloved, when you look at it through that lens, look at it from that perspective, the sufferings of the Christian life are light. They're light. And it's not 
it is not too great of a thing for us to suffer through trials in this life if it'll bring honor and glory to Him. Do you know where is a wonderful place to be and a happy place to be in life? When you come to the place where you can resolve with all that is within you to say, Lord, I just want my life to bring honor and glory to you. Doesn't matter about the hardships. Doesn't matter about the sufferings. Lord, you know best. Lord, do what you see fit to do to get honor and glory to yourself from this life. I bless his name. I bless his name. All right. Let's, let's all stand to our feet, if you would. And uh, Miss Angie, would you come to the piano for us for a minute? And we'll have a hymn of invitation. Play a few verses. Let's bow our head and pray.